Elizabeth Warren has released details of her health care plan. The plan, entitled Pay Now, Die Later, is estimated to cost $56 billion in added expenses. But Warren says that will be paid for with a tax on billionaires as soon as they return from their tax-free retreats in the Cayman Islands. Warren says not a single penny of the plan will be paid for by the middle class because we're all in this together and no one will be left behind and it's time to make a difference. And yeah, the middle class will basically be taxed out of existence, paying for the whole thing. On the positive side, Warren says that under her plan, instead of being ripped off by private insurance companies who take your money and then fail to pay when catastrophic illness strikes, you'll be ripped off by the United States government, who'll take your money and then turn every hospital into a cross between the VA and the DMV so that you wait online so long you finally beg to die, whereupon they kill you and congratulate themselves on their fast, efficient service. After all, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. What's more, the Warren plan will increase the efficiency of doctors by bathing them in magic efficiency dust, which will cause them to forget they have no reason to be more efficient because the government will pay them the same thing no matter what. Plus, everyone will be healthier because of public service announcements telling them not to eat eggs. Until we find out eggs are good for you, when there will be announcements telling you to eat eggs, but too late since you've already died from too few eggs, thus saving government money and providing a much-needed tax break to the middle class, who did I mention will be paying for the whole thing. When asked what will happen to the millions of people currently employed in the insurance industry, Warren said none of them would suffer, but would instead be put painlessly to sleep like everyone else on government health care. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. You know, the more I think about it, the more I think that Hannah Gadsby's Nanette may have been a cultural turning point, the point where the culture started turning away from the left and back toward liberty. Gadsby, you'll remember, is the Australian comedian with some combination of sexual abnormalities, which I no longer know what they are. She declared in the middle of her Netflix special that she was not going to be funny anymore, but instead would lecture us on how badly we've all treated her or something like that. I turned it off after a while, as I'm sure almost everyone did. The left celebrated this wonderful innovation in comedy, comedy that isn't funny. What a concept. But it makes perfect sense because the left has followed a false idea into madness. This is the idea of materialism, the idea that there's no God, there's no spirit, there's just flesh. Without spirit, there's no wholeness. There's only an endless series of constructed things that must be deconstructed in order to be rebuilt to perfection. This is very flattering to intellectuals who are good at deconstructing ideas. And of course, when everything is deconstructed and in ruins and chaos, and it comes time to rebuild things to perfection, the intellectuals have moved on to deconstructing something else while blaming you for the mess. So they've deconstructed comedy and rebuilt it without all that bothersome laughter that might undermine their pompous self-righteousness and expose their ceaseless incompetence. The left have become sour scolds who fact-check satire and rail against silly memes of dogs getting medals. They're perpetually outraged. They're addicted to outrage. It's almost as if anger were the devil's cocaine. Meanwhile, on the right, I am thrilled to say we're becoming hilarious. Even left-wing comics like Bill Burr and Ricky Gervais are at their, Gervais, I should say, are at their funniest when they're saying essentially right-wing things. And if Dave Chappelle isn't careful, he may show up in a MAGA hat one of these days. Part of this progression is simply the natural, humorless, angry, and miserable end of leftist philosophy. There was nowhere else for it to go, not ever. 
But coincidentally, or really providentially, it has been both led and sped by Donald Trump, certainly the funniest president since Reagan. Look at him. He's having a great time. His followers, likewise, a great time. The culture of joy is all on the right right now. And maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon, in the long run, joy is where the people go. And we're going to talk about that. But first, let us talk. I'll talk about something that gives me joy, which is NetSuite, because NetSuite puts all the numbers I need to run a business. And I am a business. I mean, you look at me and you just think, wow, what a fantastically beautiful human being. And I understand that's dazzling and it makes you forget what you're talking about. But the thing is, I am also a business. I sell my services to various people, including the Daily Wire. And to have a business and to keep your business growing, you have to know your numbers. And the problem now is that your numbers are on a hodgepodge of different business systems, but not with NetSuite by Oracle. It's a business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Clavin. That's netsuite.com slash Clavin to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. Netsuite.com slash slash Clavin. Because if you want to grow your business, you have to know how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. <laughs> Exactly. That's just what I was going to say. There are no E's in claiming. And if you subscribe to Daily Wire right now, you can be in the mailbag tomorrow, which you want to be in because if you are in the mailbag, you can ask me about anything you want, religion, your personal life, politics, and all my answers are guaranteed correct and will change your life, maybe for the better. If not, you don't get your money back. It's only 10 bucks a month to subscribe. It's 100 bucks for the year, but you got to go to dailywire.com Hit the podcast button, hit the Andrew Clavin podcast, then hit that little mailbag symbol and ask your questions. All your problems will be solved. You know, I, I'm, I know there's stuff in the news. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to Jeffrey Epstein, really in, uh, interesting story uh, coming out of Project Veritas. Uh, but I, I, this comedy thing, you know, one of the problems with conservatives is they always get so uh, caught up in the things that are happening right around, right immediately, and they always think everything's an emergency and has to be dealt with, that they forget that the culture is the real thing. And this is important. It is important that suddenly we are funny. We on the right are the funny people, and the left is relentlessly humorless, relentlessly humorless. They have all the late night comedy shows. Not one of them is funny. They're pure rage, pure, pure vitriol. They have uh, that Christian, that phrase Christian Toto uh, caught me, taught me, uh, clapter, where instead of laughing, people clapped because what you said was so virtuous. And this is a big, a big deal. And I have to say, I feel great about it because I feel I was kind of ahead of the curve. I'm not going to say that I started right-wing comedy, but I was there at the very beginning of this idea that we should be making fun of the left because the left was absurd. Steve Crowder joined me shortly uh, thereafter, and we were over at PJTV doing this stuff. And now I see, personally, I when I see people coming up and doing it, even better, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled there's a Babylon Bee. I think they're doing such great work. They weren't as funny as this before. Now they are. And it's, it is amazing. And Crowder, Crowder, you know, when he started out, I always thought he was amusing. Now he's hilarious as he's grown and learned. He's does, doing a great job at his, at his place that we can't mention, but we use his ashtrays. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously Trump is part of this. And he is, there's, you watch this guy 
you watch him and you watch the news and everybody's so grim and Trump is Hitler and he's coming to kill you and everything is terrible. And look at the, oh my God, he lied and he did this. And Trump is having the time of his life. You watch him at these rallies and tens of thousands of people are showing up. Tens of thousands of people are waiting outside and the guy is funny. And you know, when he was doing this, when he was calling Ted Cruz names and things like this, and the way he calls people's name, names, I would always recoil from it. But at the same time, now that the left has been exposed as this deep state conspiracy trying to slowly spread socialism through the American system and unwilling to let go of the unelected power held by spies and bureaucrats, hey, you want to make fun of those people? go right ahead. I got no problem with it. So he was on one of his rallies and he went after Joe Biden. It's a long clip, but I got to play it because it is hilarious and it shows you what I mean. Very slow, sleepy Joe. <laughs> Biden, that is. Said of China's piracy and plunder. They're not that bad, folks. He always used the word folks. I watched him today. He used the word folks. Hi, folks. Hi. Hi. My time is up. I got to leave. Now they have them all freaked out because he makes a mistake every time he speaks. So I can just see these handlers because they're handlers. Like they use on horses, they're handlers, right? All right, get him off now. He's been up there long enough. So they're screaming, get off, get off. Sleepy Joe, get off the stage. Please, please, Joe, you're doing fine. Joe, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. And then he goes, I love being in Ohio. But he was in Iowa yesterday. You saw and they say, damn it, he should have left sooner. We told him, get off the stage, Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Joe, get off the damn stage. But he said about Sleepy Joe, about China, they're not that bad, folks. They're not really competition for us. No, they're not. 500 billion a year, right? He did nothing in eight years, him and Obama. In fact, I'm here because of them when you think about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's good, good stuff. And all the people, all his fans are standing in back of him wearing shirts and say, read the transcript, obviously referring to the transcript of the Ukrainian call, which just makes guys like Adam Schiff and his lies and his sleazy, you know, uh, his sleazy parceling out of information, bringing out the transcripts a little bit of a time so he can control the news media, which is already under his control. It makes him look like a jerk. It makes him look like what he is, a stiff. Plus, this thing about Biden is it's all true. I mean, one gaffe after another. Not only when he was in Iowa did he say he was in Ohio, but while he was in Iowa, he gave a, a speech where he was looking, he got confused, and he started looking at this, the screen so that he was talking with the crowd in back of him, and his the back of his head was to the camera. I'll just play a quick clip since you can't see it. Look, folks, I learned something early on from my family and my mom and dad. They said, Joey, nobody is better than you, but everyone is your equal. Everyone is your equal. And folks, I'm Donald Trump, <laughs> and I approve this message. <laughs> I'll bet, I'll bet he did because the guy is facing away from the stage. It's like, Joe, some people are better than you. Some people know how to face the audience. 
words when they're talking. I mean, this is an amazing thing. And it's absurd. I mean, this is the thing. It's absurd. So much of what the left says is absurd because of they followed this stupid idea down this path into obscenity. Men or women, we're deconstructing gender. We're deconstructing this. And deconstruction, you know, this is part of a progression of thought. This is an idea that has been percolating on the left since I was a boy, basically, post-modernism, was this idea that there was no grand narrative. The grand narratives were falling apart. Well, what were the grand narratives? The nation, your religion, that was the big grand narrative. All of these things were going to be taken apart because they were just narratives. They were just fictions. And it never occurred to them to ask whether they were fictions like almost all great fictions that told the truth. I mean, we all know this happens. We read books of fiction, right? We read stories like 1984 and we say, oh yeah, this didn't happen. But it did, and it does, because it's telling the truth through a fiction. And yeah, there are things in religion that are, in fact, metaphorical language. I mean, I can think of things. Uh, Jesus spoke in parables. Uh, Jesus talks in one of his stories. He talks about a guy uh, burning in hell while somebody else is in the bosom of Abraham. We don't really think that he was in the bosom of Abraham. He's using imagery, even the image of burning in hell. You don't, you know, there's probably no fire in a spiritual world, but we understand what he's talking about. It's, it's spiritual language. It's metaphorical language. It's a fiction that tells the truth. So when you get rid of these fictions, you are also getting rid of the truth that they tell. You know, money is a great example. Money is a perfect example of this. Money has no value. We all know it's a fiction, right? Money is a fiction. And yet, and yet, it communicates something that we know but can't express in any other way. It communicates the value of something. And we know these things, and we don't know how we know them, but the human brain is so complex and so brilliant and such a wonderful machine that it looks at things and says, yeah, that pair of shoes is worth this amount at this moment in time. No, that's too expensive. What does it mean it's too expensive? Too expensive for what? Too expensive for your budget? Too expensive in just general? I mean, there are things that I can afford that I don't buy because I feel they're overpriced. What does that even mean? It means I don't value them enough to give them that, that money. Now, that money itself has no value, but it has the value of communicating the truth of value. And that's the thing, the way fictions work. And that's the way great narratives work. Our religion, we understand. We, we don't have to say every word uh, in the Bible, for instance, is an exact uh, literal description of something that happened. We know it's not because we know there are stories in the Bible, but we understand that it's communicating the truth that God needs us to know. And if, it, if it's going to commun communicate all that truth, it's going to need all these different genres, all these different ways of talking. So, you know, when they get rid of all this, when they get what they get rid of is humanity. They get rid of the spiritual view of humanity, the meaning of humanity. And it's all meaning. Everything is meaning. Our whole lives is about, are about the meaning of our lives. It's not what happens exactly. It's what it means. And we all know this. And, you know, that when they get rid of it, they're left with all these uh, material ideas. So they're left. Everything is a power relationship. This is Michel Foucault. And it's hilarious because Michel Foucault was a sadomasochist. He was a literal sexual sadomasochist who decided that all relationships are based on power. That's not even a theory. It's a fetish. <laughs> it's just a fetish turned into a theory. And yet they believe all this stuff because it sounds so revelatory once you get rid of the idea of wholeness, once you get rid of the idea of, of, um, of a spirit, of an actual thing that a human being is. And this is what happened because everything is power and because now they have this kind of magical intersectionality where they think they can gauge one kind of power over another. 
they think that they can all place everything in its proper place. Who's got the most power? Who's intersectional with this power? And that's what happened to Hannah Gadsby. And that's where Nanette came from. And I'll look at that in just a second. But first, let's look at my underwear. No, not really. But we'll talk about Mack Weldon. I have ordered uh, some Mack Weldon uh, clothes, not because now they've branched out. But I already had some of their underwear, which I use for working out because it breathes so well and it's so comfortable and flexible. And now they've re- branched out into uh, all kinds of um, all kinds of clothing. I've got underwear, socks, and shirts, and they look really good. I ordered them online. I ordered a bunch of them online. I'm waiting for them to show up, but it's so easy to order them, so easy to pick them out. A great website. And uh, and this stuff, can, you can use it for anything because it's soft, it breathes, it's flexible. So you can use it for working out. You can use it. Some of it is for casual wear. It is really uh, terrific. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Now, for 20% off your first order, which is a very good deal, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code Claven. That's MacWeldon, all one word, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and enter promo code Claven, which is... <laughs> that's exactly... That is just what I was going to say, that uh, there are no E's in Claven. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So, so Hannah Gatsby, this is why she stopped doing comedy. Here's, here she's talking to an interviewer. In real life, if my gay friend said to me, I'm really depressed, I certainly wouldn't find it funny. Well, I think there's, in real life, there's real power in the humour, you know, to do it with humour and, you know, because that, you know, when you talk about things with such weight, it doesn't do anything. In fact, it weighs you down more. You know, to do it, to just talk about those things with a friend with lightheartedness or the attempt at humour is an attempt to connect. But we're living in a a very... uh, uh, uneven uh, world at the moment. So when I stand on stage, I'm I'm a second-class citizen, trying to make you know there's you know straight people laugh. I'm I'm not interested in making them feel better anymore. So she's a second-class citizen being interviewed and having a worldwide Netflix special, which all second-class <laughs> citizens get. And she's not interested in making straight people laugh anymore because it makes us feel better. But what she doesn't understand is it makes us feel better about her. It communicates her humanity in the comedy when she talks about things that are absurd, when she talks about ways, even ways she's mistreated or pain she feels. We all feel that. We all understand that that brings us together in common humanity. When she stops... When she stops making us laugh, which is her gift, I assume, when she stops making us laugh and just starts scolding us, my feeling is, hey, I wasn't even thinking about you. I, was, you know, I wasn't thinking about you, good or bad. I'm not going to listen to you scold me. You're not a part of my life. I don't care what you think. Goodbye. And I'll turn her off. And so she's actually separated herself from the human process. She's right when she says it helps to joke with a friend about your problems. It helps to joke with everybody about your problems. Comedy is a good thing. And they've just become so joyless because of this, because of this idea, because of this idea that everything is power. It, you know, it's so ridiculous because it's reducing everything to this one aspect of human life. Sure, there's power in human life, in, in human relationships. But if you're a husband who's the head of your household and you have the final decisions and you put your wife's happiness and well-being uh, above everything else and your family's happiness, who has the power? Who has the power? Is it you because you make the decisions? Or is it them because they their wants and needs come before your own? I mean, where is the power there? We can't calculate it because you can't add because you're you've left out love, because you've left out the spirit. So love essentially doesn't exist. There's nothing but power and money, and that's the way the left thinks. And they can't be funny because they become completely sour and a scold. You know, when you're trying to make everybody equal, when you're trying to arrange power. 
it, it doesn't make everybody equal. It just means everybody's yelling at each other all the time because somebody is always in every situation is going to have some power. You know, there's a New York Times, the New York Times, a former newspaper, did a piece on Louis C.K., who was trying to come back after one of these Me Too things. Now, his Me Too thing, I thought was absurd. I mean, he obviously has a, a, a deep problem. He was accused of asking women if he could expose himself and then sometimes masturbating in front of them after asking them for it. Now, asking them for it, as he himself said, he accepted the guilt for this. He apologized for it. And he said, you know, if you're in a power relationship, like if you're a comedian with young comedians and you ask somebody something like that, it really is an abuse of your power. No question about it. It's no question. It's a moral abuse. It's also to, to want to do that is a it's a sickness. I don't know what to call it exactly. Uh, a fetish. It's, it's a, a disorder. That's a good word for it. It's a disorder in, in your sexual life. You know, that's not the way most of us get our pleasure. Uh, it's a disorder in your sexual life. I don't think that should have ended his career. He's an artist. He's a troubled guy. I didn't end Roman Polanski. They're still giving Roman Polanski Oscars and he raped a girl, drugged and raped an underage girl. You know, so why is it that this should suddenly become the end of Louis C.K.'s career? So he's coming back. He's making a comeback in the New York Times. Uh, you know, Jason Zenoan at the New York Times has to go through this whole long thing about the fact that he's funny, but he's refusing to laugh anymore. He says on his first tour since admitting misconduct, the comedian's theme was the cathartic release of transgression as he delivered bits about his mother's death and religion. Those looking for any apologetic notes or reckoning with the damage he has done will be disappointed. He is not aiming for redemption on stage. Comedy criticism, he says, is never objective, but there is nothing more subjective than how funny you find Louis C.K. in 2019. That's what makes writing this review difficult and being transparent about my point of view necessary. Over the past decade, no comic had a greater impact on me than Louis C.K. While my relationship with his old work has changed, I can't laugh at his rape jokes anymore, and the storylines on his FX show that touched on assault now seem like obscene rationalizations. I still regularly think about Louis C.K. punchlines and chuckle why don't you shut up and just let laugh? Why don't you shut up and just watch him laugh? You know, this is his problem that he had. He didn't rape anybody. He didn't hurt anybody. It's it's a shame. It's, it is, uh, you know, poor behavior. I'm not letting him off the hook. But after all, you're not the police. You're not the morality police. Let the guy do his comedy. He is probably the best comedian around, certainly one of the best comedians around, along with Bill Burr uh, and Gervais and uh, who else? Um, Chappelle. All of these guys are really funny. Let them do their work and let them be who they are. And don't go close to him if you don't want to see his, uh, his dingus. Uh, you know, but you know, you know how bad they know it is. I mean, they have to know that this is so unappealing. It's so, it's, nobody wants to live like this. I mean, after a while, not having friends because you can't share their point of view, not being able to laugh at anything, comedy without humor in it. After a while, you have lost your humanity and they know they've lost it because listen to this, Seth Meyer, he's one of the late night guys. He has a new Netflix comedy special and it comes complete with a feature that allows viewers to skip over President Trump related jokes. Now, like every single late night comedian, every single one, he hates President Trump. So now on his Netflix special, you can skip over it. And he says, well, it dawned on me that because it was on Netflix, there would be this opportunity to put in technology that would allow people to skip it. It was, it was a way it was a way to build in the response to anyone who say, oh, let me guess, there's going to be jokes about the president. He, know he's be, he knows he's become predictable. He knows he's become one-sided. He knows he's looking for clapter and not laughter anymore. So you could skip over it. I, want, I have another button that's going to help me to skip the whole thing. It's amazing. It's called an off button. 
I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> That's exactly. That's what I want to say. He's raising his thumb to press the off button on this thing. All the joy has gone out of the left. You know, I, I want to get to the Jeffrey Epstein thing, but I just got to talk about this thing about the uh, Nats, the Washington uh, Nationals who won the World Series. This is, the, you know, the third Washington team that has won a championship uh, with Donald Trump as the president. The Washington Caps, the Capitals, uh, they won the hockey guys, right? And the girls' basketball team, the Mystics, they were well, women's basketball team, they, they won too. So uh, Trump has, has been good for Washington sports. So, all right, yesterday, the Nats show up at the White House to celebrate their third uh, World Series, their, their World Series win, right? So much winning. Uh, and Sean Doolittle, the relief pitcher, said he wouldn't go. He said, I have a brother-in-law who's autism, Autism, he told the Washington Post, and Trump is a guy that mocked a disabled reporter. How would I explain that to him, that I hung out with somebody who mocked the way that he talked or the way that he moves his hands? I can't get past that stuff. Now, listen, I, I was invited to the White House for their for one of Laura Bush's uh, book festivals, and of course, I was honored to go. And my wife said to me, would you go if Obama invited you? And I said, absolutely. The guy's the president of the United States. He's duly elected. That means he represents the country. I'm not going to agree with his policies. I'm just going to say that I love my country and that I'm honored to be uh, to be honored by my country. And so, of course, I would go. I think this this stuff is crazy. A lot of people, a lot of sportsmen didn't go to Obama's White House, too. But of course, they were excoriated by the press. But I want to play how the left represented this. All right. Because how the press, well, the left and the press are the same thing, how they represented this. Let me pause. Let me do one more ad before uh, I get into this. I got to talk about Raycon. You know, I love these things. These are the uh, uh, wireless headsets. Uh, and I know the one you're using. I use that one too sometimes. It just looks ridiculous and it does not fit or look like Raycon's. Raycon has a new uh, model out, the E25. S, I think it's called the E25S. These things, they're so stylish and they have different, uh, you know, earbuds. So you can put them in your ear. You can make sure they fit. I have weird shaped ear holes. And so I need to get a fit for it. They're so much more comfortable than the leading brand. And the sound is excellent. And they're kind of bigger. So they sort of block out sound too. They, I think they have a, a sound blocking um, function as well, which is great. Uh, they have six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit. So I'm right. It's actually in the copy, but I noticed it myself. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Clavin. That's B-U-Y raycon.com slash Clavin for 15% off Raycon wireless buds. Buyraycon.com slash Clavin. And they also have a function where you tap and you say, how do you spell Clavin? And they'll tell you it's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. Uh, so, so anyway, let, let's take a look at the Nationals going to the to going to the game. And Ryan Zimmerman, who's an iconic player, first baseman, uh, he gets up and makes a speech. First, I should mention the other guy, uh, Kurt Suzuki. Uh, he put on a MAGA hat and Trump hugged him and everything like this. And it was really great. But uh, but this is Ryan Zimmerman, who's been with the team longer than anybody else. And he gets up and gives this speech. What an unbelievable honor to be here, to be in front of you guys. This is stuff that you dream about. Uh, to see all the fans show up, the parade, look at this crowd here. Um, you know, we couldn't have done it without you, so thank you guys so much. Uh, Mr. President, me and my teammates, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having us here. This is, a, this is an incredible honor that I think all of us will, will, never, will never forget. And uh, we'd also like to thank you for keeping everyone here safe in our country. Um, 
and continuing to make America the greatest country to live in the world. And you hear, you hear Trump say, whoa, he's being handed a, a Nationals uh, jersey with Trump 45 on it. And the people, the best, best moment when people started shouting uh, four more years, four more years, Trump said, I assume you mean four more World Series wins uh, in a, a, an, an unusual moment of modesty. Here's how the networks covered this story. Nothing. They just, they ditch the story. Okay. They ditch the story. Now there's this kind of story that comes at the end of the news here on a lighter note. You know, the baseball team, the winning baseball team visits the white house. It's a big deal. It's a major sports story. It's a major American story. It's a feel good story. They can't do it, but here's how they covered it. When Trump went to the fifth game and people booed him and shouted at him in the Washington DC audience, here's how they covered that. Meanwhile, overnight, President Trump attended Game 5 of the World Series right here in Washington, and he didn't get the warmest welcome. Take a look. Mixed reaction there. You can hear some in the crowd booing him and even chants of, lock him up. The White House declined to comment overnight. Now to the World Series, where President Trump watched last night's game from a luxury suite at Nationals Park in Washington, where he received what you would call less than a warm welcome from many people in the crowd. So, so I mean, that's the way they covered that. Every net network covered it. No network covered this feel-good story because it's a feel-good story about Trump. One, there's a place called Power Tie, which is another new place that is uh, coming up. Uh, doing satire. And I just, I'm telling you, I love seeing this. It's so great. And they're so much funnier than Colbert. And they're so much funnier than all the guys on late night. And they're just on Twitter and they're just on their website, but it's great. They put out a, a satire of how they would treat Trump, how the press would treat Trump if he were a Democrat. And what they did was they interspliced uh, the press talking about Obama with Trump, and they changed all the, uh, you know, all the slogans on the bottom and everything that they said. So you can't see all of it, but you can hear it. And it is, if you're not watching, if you're just listening, you can hear it. And it is absolutely hilarious. This is how they would have covered Trump if he were a Democrat. I wanted to ask you about what uh, some people are calling your best week ever uh, last week. That smile, that cute smile, we all love in that guy, that wonderful boyish smile of his. He just gave us there after he made his little crack about the holiday spirit. I haven't seen that in months. He had a way of speaking inspirationally, but also really seriously laying out the stakes. What is your favorite musical genre? Anything Trump. Seeing him is like, it's like a Jesus Christ superstar seeing this guy in front of people. He's got that celebrity aura about him. And in that moment, he was owning that. You can see it in the crowds. The thrill, the hope, how they surge toward him. You're looking at an American political phenomenon. I love that guy. I love him. I love him. <laughs> I've been observing. Your dog looks like he's out of control. You have to get over it. It is probably the single most iconic piece of political campaign imagery in the last generation. I want to personally thank him for changing my life. During these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most about serving in this office, humbled you the most? That's enough. Put down the mic. <laughs> 
That's great stuff. I think they're at Real Power Tie on Twitter. Uh, that's that is really good work. Really funny. Uh, left has lost its joy, lost its sense of humor, and they've lost it for good reason. I mean, they've followed their philosophy right down the rabbit hole into this sour, scolding, mean, outrage, perpetually outraged attitude that. I think is going to cost them the culture, and I hope it does. Uh, all right, so I got to take a break. We'll talk about Jeffrey Epstein in a sec, but first, uh, I just want to remind you it's mailbag day tomorrow. Please get your uh, questions in. You can ask me anything you want. I will change your life, maybe for the better, but you got to be a subscriber. And you know, by the way, being a subscriber now is incredible. I mean, was, we've got all this great stuff. Uh, 10 bucks a month, you get the articles, obviously, you get them ad-free, uh, you get access to all of our live broadcasts, you get our full show library, uh, some bonus content, obviously Another Kingdom, you get Another Kingdom earlier, uh, and you get our exclusive Daily Wire app now, which is absolutely great. I don't know if you've used this app yet, but it is unbelievable. Uh, it is really does a great job. And, uh, and also we have these, uh, all you have a new level, an all-access plan, where you get all that stuff, plus uh, you get an Ask Me Anything style discussion, and of course, of course, the uh, handmade, handcrafted, uh, leftist tears tumbler known far and wide. So it's actually a really good deal, and you should shell out, and most importantly, you have the money, we want the money. we got to take a break. Come over to dailywire.com. So in keeping with uh, this, uh, it's not a comic subject, but it has become hilarious, I got to say. Uh, Project Veritas, Veritas uh, our friend James O'Keefe, has just released this incredible clip of an ABC anchor, Amy Robach. I think it comes from last August. She was caught on a hot mic talking about the fact that she had the Epstein story for three years and ABC wouldn't let it go. Here's the clip. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will say, oh, that we that also quashed the story. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail. And now it's all coming out. And it's like these new revelations. And I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my God. We, it was, um, what, what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney three years ago saying like, aunt, like we, there will come a day when we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. And, I had it all three years ago. Wow. Wow. That's a pretty, that's a pretty amazing clip. Obviously add that to Ronan Farrow's story about how NBC wouldn't let him run with Harvey Weinstein. I mean, this is, this is incredible stuff. And you know, if you're listening to another kingdom, you know that I kind of caught on that this is a big deal, this abusing of women in general, but especially young underage women, which I think just comes with some kind of power trip for these guys uh, that that they really uh, 
get off on in some way. They, they can get away with it, so they do. Uh, and as you, if you're watching Another Kingdom or listening to Another Kingdom, you know that I was kind of I cottoned on to this. But this is a, a wild, wild story. And ABC put out a res- response. They put out a statement saying, well, we weren't satisfied with the reporting. So, you know, pull the other one, as they used to say, because we know how they covered Brett Kavanaugh and all somebody had to do was wander and drunk off the street and say, Brett Kavanaugh chased me around uh, a yacht and uh, then raped me and then killed my sister. And that was on the evening news that led the evening news. So we know it's not about that. It is not about that. It is covering up for powerful men. I mean, come on, that nobody believes this. And then, of course, Epstein goes to jail and mysteriously it hangs himself. And again, if you're listening to Another Kingdom, I think you've reached the point where you know there's an element like that in the plot as well. You know, so this is this is a this has become this other thing. What happened to Jeffrey Epstein and which of these powerful men may have had a hand of it? So now there's this forensic pathologist, right? Uh, he used to be I think he used to be the New York City uh a medical examiner. He was the chief medical examiner for New York City, Michael Baden. And Michael Baden was hired by Jeffrey Epstein's family to watch the autopsy as the New York uh, coroner was, was doing it. So he was hired to watch the autopsy. That means he has a stake in this, okay? So it doesn't mean that everything he says is necessarily true. Uh, He has acted, I think he was an actual defense witness for O.J. Simpson. You know, he is a guy who's being paid to do a thing, so I'm not saying that this is the truth, but the guy is putting his reputation on the line, and this is what he said on Fox News. There are multiple three fractures in the hyoid bone, the thyroid cartilage, that are very unusual for suicide and more uh, uh, indicative of strangulation, homicidal strangulation. You say that his fatal injuries are consistent with homicide? More consistent with homicide. And in fact, at the time of the autopsy, the doctor doing the autopsy wasn't, uh, didn't think there was enough information to say suicide, so she put it well, pending further study. And then for some reason, and they want to know, uh, the family wants to know why was it changed from pending further study to homicide afterwards. So if you're there watching them perform this autopsy, you notice these three broken bones and you believe it would be homicide. So that would mean another person would have gone into his cell, strangled him. Did he have any signs of trying to fight back? Well, they took fingernail clippings to see if there's anybody else's DNA on it, and that hasn't been released. Neither has the information about the, whose DNA is on the ligature. So, so listen, you know, the thing is, the guy was hanged in a cell. He was supposed to be under observation. He wasn't. There were no videos. There were no videos of people going in and out. I mean, you know, it, they're asking us to swallow a lot, and you can't start to say, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Trevor Noah had Hillary Clinton on, and he tried to make a joke of it. But the very fact that he asked her kind of made people sit up straight. Here's this clip. Hillary, I have to ask you a question that has been plaguing me for a while. How did you kill Jeffrey Epstein? (laughs) Because you, you... You're not in power, but you have all the power. I I really need to understand how you do what you do. (laughs) Because you seem to be behind everything nefarious, and yet you do not use it to become president. (laughs) What is the game plan? So he's making fun of this, obviously. He's giving, he's patting her, he's covering up for her. Uh, And I'm not saying, obviously, that she did anything. But I'm just saying that, like, that actually 
it isn't the joke. I mean, the joke is closer uh, to what happened on uh, Waters' show, Waters' World. Uh, he had a, a military ex-Navy SEAL who takes care of military dogs, a guy named Mike Ritland. And at the end, Ritland had this moment when he was talking about how to take care of these dogs. The remarkable nature of these dogs and, and them being highlighted in the news creates a, a huge demand by people that, that frankly shouldn't have them. If, uh, if you see the, the coverage and you decide, I want one of these dogs, either buy a finished, trained, uh, you know, fully trained and, and finished dog from a professional, uh, or just, just don't get one at all. Um, and Epstein didn't kill himself. All right. <laughs> okay. Thank you for that commentary. All right. <laughs> Water. It just goes right by him. And then he wakes up and sees it. So, this, I mean, that's a lot funnier than Trevor Noah because it's closer to where we are. It's closer to the reality. It's closer to what's absurd about this story. I mean, the absurdness about this, the absurdity of the story is not that Hillary Clinton, whose husband was a traveler on Epstein's jet, it's not that she's a suspect. The, the joke, the absurdity is that we're all supposed to buy into this and not be suspicious and somehow it's going to go away and we don't want to know more about Prince Andrew and Bill Clinton and all the powerful people who hung out with this guy and how he operated so long at such a little price and why ABC covered it up and why NBC covered up for Harvey Weinstein. What is, what, what is the connection and how far do these connections go? That's not crazy conspiracy thinking. That is just real life in front of us. This thing with uh, Ritland went nuts on Twitter. It was just hilarious. The, the line, uh, Epstein didn't kill himself, uh, just started going around a lady named Sarah Car Carter uh, gave out the advice. Date a girl who says, I love you. Text me when you get home. Look at that dog over there. And Epstein didn't kill himself. Some guy named Michael Knowles uh, put out this thing. Knowles was, I have to say, Knowles was on top of his game on Twitter. Uh, on this day, 608 years ago, Khalil Sultan, the Timurid ruler of Transoxiania, died at the age of 27. Shortly thereafter, his wife committed suicide, which distinguishes her from Jeffrey Epstein, who did not kill himself. And my hilarious son, Spencer, uh, put out the entire lyric of the old Nat King Cole song, Nature Boy. Do you remember that song? There was a boy, a certain strange enchanted boy. They say he wandered very far, very far over land and sea, a little shy and sad of eye, but very wise was he. And then one day, one magic day, he passed my way. And as we spoke of many things, fools and kings, this he said to me, the greatest thing you'll ever learn is that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And finally, the Babylon Bee Bible scholars now believe that the writing on the wall actually said Epstein didn't kill himself. All the laughter is on the right, and it's on the right because it's the left that's become absurd. It's the left that's become humorless. And this is important. This is the stuff that matters because Trump is not going to be here from 20 years from now, but some of you will be here 20 years from now. Uh, you know, there's going to be leftists, there's going to be right-wing presidents, but the atmosphere that has allowed this socialist upheaval on the left, that has allowed this corruption in the press, the atmosphere that nods and shakes its head when people call you Islamophobic or homophobic instead of listening to what you have to say, this atmosphere of outrage and canceling and condemnation. This is an outgrowth of leftist philosophy. It didn't drop out of the sky. It fo they followed a thought down a certain path, and it's absurd, and the laughter is all on the right because we're laughing at that. And that is an important uh, development in, in the culture. Uh, a final reflection, uh, what's happening in Germany. They are cracking down on free speech in an attempt, I'll read this, in an attempt to crack down on far-right and neo-Nazi violence, including the assassination of a local politician a few weeks ago. German members of parliament are expected to approve more restrictive gun control measures, as well as legislation requiring social media networks to report content removed 
by the sites. They're supposed to report it uh, to law enforcement. Under the proposed legislation, just removing the post would no longer be enough. Companies would also be required to report any such content to the authorities. Germany's federal police plan to establish a new department that would collect the reported content and the IP addresses. Uh, spreading insults and hate speech online would carry stiffer sentences, reflecting the unlimited reach of such comments. This is a sign of weakness in a society, and it's a sign, again, of a weak idea. Uh, because remember, European nations were not built on ideas like our nation. They were built essentially racially. And when, uh, when that racial logic uh, exploded in the kind of fascism and Nazi hatred that came along in the Holocaust, they really had no logical defense as we have here. We have this idea that unites us no matter what color we are, no matter where we come from, we can be united under this grand idea of, of liberty, right? So we can have a multi-ethnic society. They have a problem with this. And that's why I'm so opposed to hate speech legislation, because hate speech legislation assumes that America is a violent, hate-filled, bigoted place where exactly the opposite is true. We are not a hate-filled, bigoted place. We are the least racist country on earth the least racist country on earth. And so when people spew hate and they come online, you know I hate these guys, you know I disagree with them. When they go online and they say the things that they say, I'm not talking about people uh, inciting violence, obviously, that's a different thing. I'm talking about people who spread their dirty uh, ideas, their hate-filled ideas. I'm not afraid of them at all. I think we can take them. I think we can beat them in argument. I think we can beat them in comedy. I think we can beat them in the culture. And I don't think America is prone to that. Whereas in Germany, because of this weakness in the structure of their country, they have to outlaw people's free speech, take people's guns away. That is the beginning of the end of a regime. Let it... Let us hope that it never happens here. I'll be talking at Boston University. They're causing a lot of trouble. People saying that I'm an Islamophobic. Uh, the alt-right saying they're going to come and attack me too, I guess. Uh, so I'm, I got the clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. But here I am, and I will be there. And uh, I hope they keep it civilized, and I hope we can talk about it, because it's, uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting if we do, not so interesting if it's all just shouting and yelling. Mailbag tomorrow. Be there. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Oh, hooray, hooray. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Austin Stevens and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. And our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Sayovitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. New polling from the New York Times suggests that Democrats have been living in a progressive fantasy world if they believe they're likely to defeat Trump in 2020, which makes sense if they believe other fantasies like the narrative that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. We will examine how the left can be so gullible when nobody believes the press. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.